Hello, and welcome to What Else Do You Do? I'm your host, Masao, uh, indie producer at Studio Cut to Bits in Montreal. Today, we have Tara Brannigan. Please introduce yourself. Hi. Yeah, so I'm, I'm Tara. I'm the director of player experience over here at Behavior uh, on the digital side, so working on all the homegrown IP side of things, so Dead by Daylight, Dead by Daylight Mobile. Uh, director of player experience covers community management, influencer management, and player support. That's an interesting breakdown, right? Like, it's usually, I feel like those are not necessarily things that uh, are managed together in game studios. Is that unique for behavior or is that? It's a little unique for me, honestly. So this has happened at a few companies. So my background, if you go back far enough, is actually in technical support. So I used to do like actual phone support for Windows 95 and Windows 98. Um, And I've always felt very strongly that player support and community management really are best when they're working closely together because it's Mm -hmm. all feedback from players. What form it takes and what level of, you know, contact you get with people depends uh, based on each discipline. But if those two departments are speaking with each other very closely, you get a really good analysis of what's actually happening, where people are churning out. Uh, what we could do to make the game even better. So it's kind of combining forces. So I've had now three companies where I've applied for uh, just the community management director role, and then I've ended up also getting support as part of that role. So I'm always happy when I can make it happen. That's interesting. Uh, But this podcast is called What Else Do You Do? So what else do you do? Um, So one of the things I really like doing outside of game dev that's just kind of the opposite of game dev in a lot of ways is uh, metalsmithing, particularly for jewelry and personal ornamentation. How did you get into that? Uh, It kind of actually ties back into game development. So I was working at Xbox for many, many years, and I unfortunately had a death in the family that really shook me. Um, My my half-brother, he was far too young, and... At that point in time, my my brain just kind of locked up and basically said, what am I doing? Like, I'm stressed out about some pixels on a screen. You know, I I was a producer at that point in time. My life uh, revolved a lot around, you know, spreadsheets and tracking burndowns. And I just, I I reached a point where I just couldn't. Um, Thankfully, and I'll be eternally grateful for this, Microsoft has a um, sabbatical program. So if you've been with the company for a certain amount of years, you're able to take a sabbatical with your manager's blessing. So I had always wanted to learn more about metalsmithing. I had done like a couple weekend classes at the community college. And I'd always put it off as this thing that wasn't important. You know, it wasn't part of my career. So just it's not important. Don't focus on it. And I kept putting it on the back burner. And then my brother died and suddenly nothing really mattered to the same degree that I thought it did. You know, you've got one life, you got to live it. Um, So thankfully I was able to take that time off and I actually took three months to go down to San Francisco to learn from a master goldsmith, um, Alan Revere at the Alan Revere Academy. Sadly now closed, but they offered a, a very fantastic program around you know, everything you need to know to be a bench jeweler. What is a bench jeweler? 
Um, so a bench jeweler is kind of a jewelry term. It's, it's somebody who's basically starting out in jewelry. So doing repairs, every type of repair work you would want to do, ring resizing, um, a little bit on stone setting. I'm a terrible stone setter. I'll just put that out front. Uh, a lot of jewelers are not great stone setters. There's a whole discipline just for that. Um, a, a little bit of everything, you know, so you, you learn a bit about casting, you learn a bit about engraving, kind of a good high level of a lot of different types of skills. So you can kind of okay. decide where do I want to specialize? Kind of a starting point for professional exactly. jeweler. Okay. Okay. Um, so what materials do you like to work with? I work with a lot of organic materials, um, which I know is sometimes a touchy subject for some folks, but uh, a lot of my work focuses on reclamation and rebirth. Uh, so I, I use a lot of scrap materials. So things that are byproducts of the meat or fur industry, things that would otherwise be thrown away or left to rot, I, I tend to recover those. So very small scraps of fur, very small scraps of antler, you know, they're not big enough to be used in, say, the knife making world where you need a, a large piece of antler to make a handle. That little tiny tip of antler that they would otherwise throw away is actually a very huge element for jewelry. So that can be reused and reshaped. So I, I work a lot with um, African porcupine quills, which I really love as a material because uh, the majority of the ones that I got are actually from the porcupines at the Wellington Zoo in New Zealand who shed them naturally. And the zookeepers were kind enough to put a bunch of them aside for me. Um, it's a weird email to have to write to be like, hey, I know this sounds weird, <laughs> but <laughs> I make these earpieces with African porcupine quills because they're very, very resilient but very, very lightweight. So you can do very cool things with them without it being a huge weight on the ear. What do you have on now? Are, are those claws or? They are, but they're uh, they're actually from a local Montreal jeweler uh, who okay. I really love, uh, Lost Apostle. I, I have a lot of their, their gauges or plugs, I should say. Okay. So tell me about working with quills. Like, what do you, what do, you do with them? Do you carve them? Do you like... I tend to leave the quills mostly as they are with a little bit of trim work. So uh, one of the bigger projects that I like to do that's actually pretty quick, which is also one of the things I like about it, is I make ear cuffs that go back behind the ear that were super popular in the 90s. Not so much anymore, but <laughs> I, I still love them. And I still think it's a fantastic piece of ornamentation that needs to make a comeback because it's basically just a loop that goes around the back of your ear. And in this instance, I create uh, settings for the quills at the top. And I try to choose quills that match each other aesthetically. So each quill is unique, but they tend to have a, a banding of black and white. And if mm -hmm. I can find one that, you know, I get three quills in a row that have a, a band that matches, it just looks really neat when they're all put next to each other. Okay. It's kind of like a little mohawk for your ear. Okay. Um, and the, the jewelry itself, the metal part, what, what, what materials do you use? I work primarily in silver, in part because gold is just ludicrously expensive. Uh, ever since about 2000, the price of it has just skyrocketed. So I work almost entirely in sterling silver. There's a particular metal type, which is really neat, called argentium. It's, uh, it's a sterling silver alloy that uses uh, germanium. It's, a, it's an element that 
they basically paid a scientist to come up with uses for it because a couple countries had large stores of this, but not really a lot to do with it. And what he discovered was that when you alloy it with sterling silver, it's just got wonderful working properties. So you don't need okay. to use much solder at all. You can just fuse things. It fuses beautifully. So that doesn't leave any seam lines. Um, you know, if you have a ring and the solder line showing, that's that darker line that you mm -hmm. sometimes see in rings. You don't get that with Argentium because there's no solder. It's just silver to silver. It also, um, it doesn't get tarnished the way that sterling silver does. It does eventually, but it takes a ridiculously long time. Okay. I have Argentium so it's pieces. It's more resistant to oxidation. Very much so. Um, I, For some reason, I'm a super heavy oxidizer. Like my, my rings will turn black if I leave them on the, the bench for too long. But the Argentium ones sitting right next to it are fine. You know, they're, they've got a very slight yellow to them, really easy to clean up. How does it work? Like, do you, can you work on silver at home or do you need like a ventilated like workshop or? So it, it depends on the scale that you're doing. So if you're making primarily like small rings and earrings, you can do all of that at home. Most of the jewelers I know in San Francisco either have a shared workshop space or they just have a tiny corner somewhere in their apartment where they have a workbench set up. The great thing about jewelry as a um, craft is that most of the tools and the supplies that you need are quite small. You know, it's mm, not like welding sure. where you have a ton of very large torches and it takes up a huge amount of space. It's pretty much that in miniature. Um, there are ways that you can build ventilation with, you know, a shop vac. Uh, one of the great things about YouTube is that everyone is sharing every bit of information and a lot of jewelers are very, very crafty. They love to come up with their own tools. So okay. they, they share that. And, you know. Shop vac. I never thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess that makes sense if you're not, if you're not generating a lot of. Yeah. It's like a shop vac with a filter. There's a whole tutorial on it. It's quite cool. Has I mean uh, so before we started the the podcast we we talked about how you you've lived in five different countries in yes. how many years <laughs> uh, in just under ten years so okay I'm originally from the states I, I started my game dev career in Seattle uh, working at Xbox and PopCap Games uh, from there um, we actually got an opportunity to move to New Zealand so we went down there for about three and a half years worked at a place called Pickpock. Had a really great time, absolutely gorgeous down there. Uh, and then got an opportunity in Germany, of all places, out of the blue, just a headhunter. Um, I had actually just signed a, a contract with a place that I'd always wanted to work at, so I almost blew them off. I almost didn't take the call. Uh, but I, I was telling my, my husband that, and um, he said, oh, well, you always told me like you should always reply to the recruiter. And I was like, damn it, you're right. Like, <laughs> you should always take the call. You know, even if it's not the the right role for you, it's always worth having the conversation because it, it might be the right role five years from now when they find something mm -hmm. else. Um, but, you know, through a couple months of back and forth interviews and an on-site visit, you know, we'd always wanted to travel more. And unfortunately, as beautiful as New Zealand is, once yeah, you're there, you're, you're kind of yeah. <laughs> Like, <laughs> everything's a 14-hour flight away outside of Australia. Um and even Australia is further away than you think. It's about a five-hour flight. Uh, so, you know, it was an opportunity to explore Europe. Uh, it was a really cool studio called Flare Games, unfortunately no longer around. 
Um, but it was a really good adventure. Uh, worked in the Netherlands a little bit after that. Uh, and then the opportunity came up here in Montreal. And I, I've been away from the States for quite a long time. And while I wasn't quite ready to go back to the States, this was a very close compromise. It makes it really easy to see my family uh, while still having some of the, you know, the things I like about living abroad. Yeah, I, I, this this is definitely uh, close to the States, but not quite, Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and Montreal's got the, you know, the bilingual aspect to it. And mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's just a lifestyle I enjoy. I mean, obviously, I haven't gotten a chance to enjoy much of it because I arrived here January of last year, just in time for COVID <laughs> to hit. Uh, yeah. But from I... what I've seen, I really like the city. <laughs> So let's let's move on to our first question, which is, what do you get out of metalworking that you don't get out of game dev? Yeah, so that, that's an interesting one. And I do actually get that question a lot um, because it, it seems so different from what I do on a day-to-day uh, basis. And part of that is the reason. Um, so... A lot of what I do, working primarily in community, especially now in more of a, a team lead role, is I'm in meetings a lot. I, I'm in meetings, I send emails, I, I come up with you know specs for things. It's all important work, but it's also very ephemeral. So it, it's not a tangential thing that I can hold on to and say like, look, I made this thing. You know, it's at the end of the day, sometimes, especially as somebody with you know chronic anxiety, I'm constantly analyzing, but what did you do? What did you actually accomplish? And when the answer is, I sent a lot of emails today, logically, I know that that was all very important and that it you know, moved us towards a common goal. But one of the great things about jewelry that I really love is that at the end of the day, after sending emails all day, I can sit down for an hour, cut some metal, shape it around a mandrel, and then go, And then I made this, this thing that is physical in this universe is also something that I made and I can show it to people. You know, it's kind of the counterbalance to having a very, you know, I don't know the right way to put it. Um, Yeah, it's kind of ephemeral work. Oblique? Yeah, it's... It's a lot of discussions and a lot of strategy. It's... It's harder than showing I made this thing and here it is. I I can definitely relate to that. I used to work in community management, actually. And ah. I had a role, I mean, m- maybe not uh, similar to yours, I guess. So I didn't, um, so I managed people who worked in community management. So mm-hmm. <laughs> basically I would get home and I'm like, what did I do today? <laughs> exactly. You know, because I'm like, I don't work on brands. I don't, because <laughs> like the the community uh, the community developers would directly work on like Assassin's Creed, Watch Dogs, or whatever, right. and then I would I would manage them and help them with process and like kind of you know liaise with production, etc. Kind of try to standardize things. And uh, yeah, I felt extremely kind of alienated from my work. Mm-hmm. Which is the reason I actually ended up back in production because I started off in production and I kind of dabbled in community and then I'm I did the same back in, <laughs> I've back been, in production. I've been QA, project manager, producer, uh, localization. I'm 
community is the thing that stuck about 10 years ago, uh, it's in part because it's always changing. I don't like stasis. I get bored very quickly. And with mm-hmm. community, as you know, tomorrow there could be a new platform or yeah. you know, Twitter could just decide, nope, no more videos. And then you've got to change the entire strategy. So, Or it, just algorithms change and exactly. like everything looks the same, but no longer functions the same and same kind of content no longer works. And Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, I can I can definitely relate to that. I mean production's production's pretty wacky. I mean video games video games are pretty I mean, generally speaking, you you never get to make the same game twice. So Yeah, and that's part of why I keep coming back. Like if you check my LinkedIn, you'll see that every once in a while I leave games and it's only for about a year because I always get bored. Uh there's nothing quite like the creative passion and just the energy within games. Yeah, I've I've never actually had a job like a real job outside of games. I like I graduated in two thousand five, and I started working in video games in two thousand six. Oh wow! So that's that's yeah. It's been like I had like you know part time jobs and like temp jobs before, but yeah, it's um I don't know. I have a hard time imagining working like having a job outside of games. <laughs> it's it's different. It's very different. I, you start to realize what's considered professional at different organizations. And uh, one of my, my favorite parts was working at a video editor um, startup. Brilliant company, loved everyone there. And we had a, a major outage at one point and it was during like peak usage hours. And I come back the next day and the community's a little grumpy. Like from my perspective, the community is mildly upset, but the rest of the team was like, "Oh my god, they're so upset. Are you okay? Do you need do you need emotional support?" <laughs> I'm like, "Well, nobody's threatened to kill me, so I'm good." Like, and to them, they just they didn't understand the scale of which you know the the passion runs high both yeah. directions with games, um, and that's not always the case with you know a direct to consumer product. <laughs> I can definitely see how that is. Okay, so let's uh, flip that question over. So, what do you think? So, what do you think your meta work brings to you as a game developer in terms of your process or creative output? One thing that's been really interesting to to understand working in the community space is that every single community has the same problems; it's just a different degree. So. <laughs> I, I moderate a few jeweler and metalsmith communities, and you see the exact same behaviors there. You see gatekeeping, except this time it's not about, you know, you beat souls. It's, oh, well, anybody who uses that new material isn't a real jeweler. They, they don't really belong. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the know-it-all sort of effect happens there as well. It's, it's all the exact same behaviors. It's just a difference of scale and the degree to which people will take it. And, you know, metalsmith communities are not uh, free from trolls. They're not free from people having drama and getting upset. It's, it's something very, very interesting to note is that a community is a community. We see the, the higher degrees of it in game dev, sometimes the, the bigger swings, but it, it replicates down into these, these other places. Um, another thing that I also really enjoy is that, you know, when conferences are a thing again, and I can actually go to them, um, in game dev, I'm old. 
like I'm quite old for a game dev. And I, I feel that, especially when we have new recruits come in. In the metalsmithing community, I am one of the younger people in the room <laughs> because disproportionately metalsmiths and jewelers are, you know, 50 plus years old. There's not a lot of people getting into the trade these days. So it's disproportionate. And it's not something that people age out of, right? No, so. exactly. They they became a master jeweler and they did it their whole life and they'll continue doing it their whole life. So you have a conference that is disproportionately 50 years old plus, and mostly women as well. Like there are a lot of male jewelers as well, but in the more recent generations, it's skewing disproportionately towards women. So mm. it's kind of the reverse of most game dev conferences I go to, where it's overwhelmingly <laughs> women and it's overwhelmingly people who are much older than myself. Versus I go to a game dev conference, and it's like, oh my God, it's kids everywhere. <laughs> Not that that's a bad thing, dudes. but yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that is kind of an odd thing to think about a conference filled with uh, people who are older than me yeah like i was and it was one of those things i had just never realized until i got to one because i you know i interact with a lot of metalsmithing communities online and you just don't really notice someone's age for the most part when you're just chatting about tools and that sort of thing and then i showed up at the conference and just had this moment of like the line for the women's bathroom is crazy long (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, you know, at least for the first couple packs is maybe not anymore these days, but for the first couple of those, I could just walk right in, no problem. So let's go to the last question, which is, what is something you like people to know about metalsmithing? That's a good question. I, I love so many facets about metalsmithing, and I think part of what I really love about it is that you can do anything in metalsmithing, especially, you know, in the broader scope of jewelry, if you're not confining yourself to just metalsmithing. Anything can be a piece of jewelry. Uh, There's every type of creative in this space. And it really doesn't take that much to get started. Like, yes, you can go overboard like I did and buy a ridiculous amount of tools that you then lug around the world um, with you. But, you know, it's a very small amount of tools will get you started. And, you know, I really wish people would just try it out. Because one of the things I, I like about metalsmithing over woodworking is... Like, I, I'm terrified with wood. Like, if I make a wrong cut and I screwed it up, then I've wasted that that piece of material. I, I have a hard time with crafts where I, I feel like I'm wasting something. With metal, you screw it up, you melt it down, and it's metal again. Like, there's, there's no real fail state to it outside of really weird edge cases. But um, you, you can always reuse things that didn't quite come out right. It's... It's a very fun space to be in, and there's always something new to learn in it. There's you know, new techniques and new tools all the time. Uh, I, I would say one thing to be aware of with metalsmithing is like if somebody tells you you can't use that tool or you can't use that material or you're not a real metalsmith, fuck them. Like, <laughs> you work in metal, you work in jewelry, you're a jeweler or a metalsmith. Don't let people gatekeep you out of something that's going to bring you a lot of joy in your life. And also check your local community colleges. A lot of them have great workshops where you can just try it out. See if it's something that you enjoy. Same thing with uh, some of the local jewelry studios will do weekend workshops as well. It's just to get you a feel for if this is something you want to do. And that's honestly how I got into it in the first place is I ended up with like, 
I had several hundred dollars to spend at a community college, and I just decided to use it on whatever. So I took um, interior design class. I took a bartending class. It was just, I'm going to try a bunch of stuff and see what's fun. It's like bartending was entertaining because it was mostly a bunch of Microsoft geeks taking the class and the teacher <laughs> really liked making people say inappropriate drink names. So you can imagine the level of embarrassment of people. <laughs> um, interior design, I thought it was cool. Not my thing. But, you know, I, I took a simple make a ring workshop in part because one of my friends wanted to do it. And it just clicked. I was like, oh, this is, I, I really like this. I can, you know, there's, there's no... I think part of what I like about it is that it helps calm some of the noise in my head sometimes. You know, it's anxiety. I, I can think about too many things too many times. Um, one of the great things about metalsmithing and jewelry is that while you're working on it, that is your entire world. You're hyper-focused down into this one thing because you can't be off daydreaming while you have a torch in your hand oh. and the metal's red hot. You have to focus in and in that in that way it's it's almost it's almost like meditation is that you're just so focused in the moment that time just disappears i i've had times where i've said oh i'm just going to spend 30 minutes in the workshop and i look up and it's dark and i've been there for four and a half hours and i didn't realize <laughs> Um, so yeah, you know see if it's for you uh there's a great community of jewelers all around the world really fun, really interesting, exciting people. It's been one of my favorite parts of it is just meeting jewelers around the world. Um, and it's, it's one of those things that can last too. It's, it's something that will live on beyond you if it's taken care of. And I just find that super cool. Well, that was really informative and thank you very much. I, I enjoyed this conversation. I hope you have a good afternoon. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you for listening, and please remember to rate and subscribe on your preferred podcast app. Thank you to Dave Wallace for providing the music, and thank you to Therese Lance for providing the logo. Bye. <laughs>